0: study, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for this beautiful day and for what you have already done in our midst and how you have worked in our lives through song and scripture and through prayer. Lord, as we enter this time of study together, Lord, I pray that you would work through the words that are read and the word that is preached to change our hearts, to draw us closer to you, that we might walk in newness of life and faithfulness to you pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you want to go ahead and be turning in your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 5. And we'll look at the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5 as we get into a a very brief series that I want to do through the end of October. Um, And and it is because of October 31st, but not for the reasons you think. You know, October 31st is most well known as what? Halloween, right? And a lot of people get excited about that. A lot of people decorate. My dad was an absolute Halloween nerd. He would go and buy masks every year to scare particularly our neighbors, the Godwins. He loved to scare Mr. W.S. Godwin because he was easy to scare. And so he would buy a new mask every year and sneak across the yard and find a way to scare Mr. W.S. at some point during the year. Or during the month, and my dad also was a, 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 is an engineer, and so he brought an engineer's perspective to Halloween. And he would rig up some new fandangled thing during the Halloween season. And when kids would come to trick or treat, he would scare them with his engineering prowess. So one year we built this uh, this monster, basically, that was sitting on the rocking chair on our porch, and he rigged an intercom into the monster so that when you walked up and looked at the monster, you could actually speak through the monster to whoever it was, whoever came up there. And we watched kids literally clear the railing of our porch (laughs) to get away from the monster. But my dad took all sorts of uh, crazy approaches to Halloween because he loved the 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 Halloween season. He loved to scare people. To this day, my kids can tell you he enjoys a good scare. And we tend to think of October 31st as being all about Halloween, but there is a much more significant thing that happened on October 31st. It's something that has a great more deal more bearing for our faith um, and and what we as Christians and we as Protestants, particularly practice as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so over the next three weeks, I want to look at this big event that happened in church history on October 31st as we come to understand what it means. On October 31st, in the year 1517, there was a Roman Catholic monk, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther, who had a complaint or actually had 95 complaints against the roman catholic church he had 95 questions or what came came to be known as the 95 theses that he took and he nailed to the door the church door at the church in wittenberg and he hoped that by doing that very simple and what he thought was a small act of asking questions of the roman catholic church that there might open up a dialogue that the church might begin to reform and change some of its practices. What he got instead was a life of persecution at the hands of the Roman Catholic Church. But the heart of the issue for Martin Luther and for what came to be known as the Protestant Reformation is the question, how is someone saved from the wrath of God. How is it that someone is actually saved from the judgment of God? Now, the Roman Catholic answer to that was and still is um, that you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ along with the merit that you build up over time. So the Roman Catholics believe that there is a treasury of merit that you build up in heaven. And so when you uh, do a good deed or you carry, out, uh, you carry out certain works in the church, that you are adding to that treasury of merit. And basically, Jesus gets you kind of in the door, but then you earn your way through the door through this treasury of merit. So um, everyone actually does good deeds, to bring about this treasury of merit, but we can't help but sin. And so, in our sin, we earn time in purgatory. Even Christians earn time in purgatory according to the Roman Catholic belief. And mortal sins, or sins that are beyond the pale and go go against the, the... Uh, practice of any moral person, mortal sins earn hell. So the Roman Catholics believe that in order to escape this judgment in purgatory and escape this judgment in hell, only the church could pardon the sins of anyone who had earned time in purgatory or earned time in hell. And so during the time of Martin Luther, the church had adopted this practice called the practice of indulgences. And what they did is they had little relics or they had you know pieces of cloth from an apostle or, or a tooth from a saint or, or different things. And you could buy, you could pay an indulgence so that your loved one would not... Uh, spend as much time in purgatory or as much time in hell, and you could pay an indulgence to these relics or pay an indulgence to this the church, and you could earn for your loved one uh, good time you know time out of purgatory or uh, hell so Luther saw that practice for what it was; it was an affront to or a contradiction of the gospel message itself to say that you could with your money buy time out of purgatory or out of hell was to contradict what the Bible teaches about salvation. And so Luther's answer to the problem of indulgences and the problem of faith plus merit was to say that salvation is by faith alone. And over time, uh, As Luther started this Reformation and it followed through to all over the European continent, uh, it began to be known as the Protestant Reformation. So many different denominations cropped up out of that. Many different protest movements came out of that. And this movement would see the rise of five great principles of the Reformation. They were five principles that came to be known as the five main points that the Reformation fought over. And they were known as the five solas. Now, the word "sola" is Latin for "alone." So, uh, when you say "sola" something, you're saying this alone. So, the five solas of the Reformation were "sola fide," "sola gratia," "sola Christus," "sola Scriptura," and "sola Deo Gloria." And what they mean is, is is summarized in a very simple sentence. Okay, I want to give you this sentence that summarizes the the claims of the Reformation and the gospel message itself. And it is this. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. So if you're writing those down, here, I'll do it again. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and to the glory of God alone. So over the next three weeks, I want to look at the the three core alones of the Protestant Reformation as we build up to October 31st. The three main claims of the Protestant Reformation is that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, and in Christ alone. So this morning, we're going to look at the first claim of the Protestant Reformation, that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. And so we're going to see that by looking at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So follow along with me as I read Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. God's word says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace, in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For that, uh, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So as we consider this truth today, I want to look at this truth of salvation by faith alone in three points. We want to see that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ, and in that we have redemption, we have rejoicing, and we have reconciliation. So first, I want you to see that through faith, we have redemption. And we see that in verses 1 through 2. Now, just to remind you of what Paul has already said in the book of Romans, Paul has established in Romans chapters 1 through 3 that we are all born into and live lives of sin. And that as a result of that sin... We each individually and as a group of humans in this world, we stand condemned and under God's judgment. That there is nothing we can do to escape the judgment that God has for this world because everyone is a sinner. But then, starting in chapter 3 and all the way through chapter 4, Paul establishes that there is a justification, a a standing before God, that doesn't come by result of our works, by the things that we do, because everyone is condemned. We can't do enough good works to earn God's salvation. But there is a justification that comes by another means, and that is that we are justified by faith. We are justified by trusting in the promises of God. Of God. And so we are redeemed not because of the things that we do, or we have redemption not because of the things that we do, but because of what Christ has done for us. And there are three ways that Paul says that we are redeemed. And we see that in these first two verses of Romans chapter 5. First of all, Paul says that we are redeemed through justification. Now, that's a big word, but it's a good word. And we need to remember what this word means. And in the Greek, this word is dikaios. And it means to be declared righteous. So I want you to just imagine for a second that you and I are all in a courtroom. And we are standing before the great judge of the universe. And the uh, prosecutor stands to our left and he Begins to lay out the case. And he gives the, the most hardline, clearest case against us. He lays out every single thing we have ever thought or said or done that is against the law. He lays it all out. And by every bit of evidence that is stacked up against us, we stand guilty. But... When it comes time for the declaration of judgment against us, the judge has us stand up and he looks us in the eye and he declares not guilty. That is the idea of justification. We are declared not guilty, not because of our own works, but because of the works of another, not because of our own righteousness but because of the righteousness of another. You see Romans chapter 3 verse 23 declares that all of humanity is sinful. And Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. But the Romans chapter 23 has an important Romans chapter 6 verse 23 has an important but there. It says, "But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord." Though we stand guilty before God by our works, yet there is work that is done by someone else that makes us righteous, that declares us righteous. Because of what Christ has done for us and our faith in His work, God declares us not guilty. And there's a note that I want to make about the idea of justification. We are not justified even by our faith. I want you to understand that our faith is not a work that we do. It is not as though we say, well, I didn't do very good, but I had a good heart, so therefore you ought to accept me. Or I didn't do very good at at being obedient, but because I did this one thing, you ought to accept me. Our faith is the conduit, the way that we receive the righteousness of Jesus. It is not the work that we do to have righteousness. So let me give you an analogy. Imagine that we're driving by a newly painted house. And this house is is painted very well. It's a beautiful color. We really are, are, are both looking at it and we're just admiring it. And I say, man, look at the brush on that house. Would that make any sense? No, it wouldn't make any sense because the thing you admire about that paint job is what? The paint. You don't admire the brush that was used to apply the paint. You admire the paint itself. So faith is like the brush that applies the paint. It is the paint, which is Jesus Christ and His righteousness, that saves us. And it is faith that receives or applies that righteousness, that applies that uh, work of Christ. So there are two things about this justification that are important for us to understand. First of all, we are justified by the death of Jesus Christ. We are justified by the fact that He died for our sins. He took our place as a substitute for our sins. So that when... We uh, stand before God, we are washed clean by the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But there's another aspect to justification. Not only did did Christ's death pay the penalty for our sins, but His life gave back the obedience that we could not give. So Jesus, in His life, in His righteousness, He justified us. So imagine this, Jesus gave us not just the sacrifice for our sins, but he gave us his righteousness. So that when we stand before God, God looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus, not our own sins. The second thing. Aspect of redemption that I want you to see is that redemption gives us peace with God. Notice Paul says, We have peace with God through Christ. God was at war with us because of our sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says that we were children of wrath, but Christ has satisfied the wrath of God for our sins and brought about peace. Remember the song that the angels sang. To the shepherds, they sang peace on earth, goodwill to men. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has brought us peace. And and thirdly, redemption means that we have access into God's grace. Paul says we have obtained access by faith into his grace. Not only have we been declared righteous by the king and we have entered into peace with the king, but now we have favor with the king. That's what the word grace means, is that we have favor with God through what Jesus has done. To be in favor with the king was to have access to his royal palace, to be in full, uh, to have full access to him and to be in, under his blessings. And because of what Christ has done uh, and our faith in him, we have full access to all of the heavenly blessings in Jesus Christ. And then the second thing that I want you to see about faith is that through faith, we have rejoicing. Notice in verses 3 through 8, Paul says that our faith in Christ is also the reason for us to rejoice, even when we face trials. Paul says that we can rejoice because we know that we have The grace of the king and that we have been forgiven by the work of Christ. So we know that regardless of the suffering that we face, regardless of what comes to us in this world, the king is still in control and he loves us and he has saved us by his grace. We know that the Lord allowed that suffering that we are facing because it produces better character for us and we can suffer because we have been given hope through His Spirit. Now, there's a tendency that I have noticed when people suffer, um, that they tend to think that God has forsaken them in some way. We tend to think that maybe we're suffering because we're in some way unworthy of God's grace, that we have done something wrong, or that we just weren't good enough. Or we can come to think that because uh, we're no longer able to do the things that we used to do, maybe we have a, an ailment that dis- is causing us disability, that we can feel useless. And because we feel useless and we're not able to do what we used to do, then therefore we are, are not part of God's kingdom anymore and we're not under His grace anymore. But Paul reminds us in verses 7 and 8 that God didn't send His Son to us when we were pretty and healthy and wealthy and able to do things, Christ died for us, notice what he says in verse 8, while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us at the moment of our most unworthy position to Him. Therefore, if God would love us even while we were sinners separated from Him, Why would we think that our suffering can separate us from the love of God? It can't. The last thing that I want you to see about faith is that through faith we have reconciliation. and We find that in verses 9 through 11. Not only have we received redemption and a reason for rejoicing, but we have also received reconciliation. Paul says that Christ has not just given us His righteousness and brought peace and grace to us, but He has restored the relationship that we had with God before the fall. He has restored the relationship between us and God that was broken by the fall. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says that we have been adopted through Christ, that by the grace of Jesus and through faith in Him, we are not just subjects of a gracious king, but we are his children. Our position has changed from those who are slaves to sin to those who are children of the Most High God. And we have a royal inheritance. Now, there are all kinds of problems in this world that are, are, are due to broken relationships. We have problems that are due to our own selfishness. And because of our selfishness, we have relationships that are broken. We have problems that are due to our abuse. And we can't treat each other as valuable human beings. And therefore, we abuse one another. And because of that, we have broken relationships. We have problems with relationships due to our despair and our loneliness and our depression. We have problems with the relationships because of rage and hatred and our own judgments of other people. But God in Christ has restored and reconciled us to God. And therefore, we can be reconciled to other people. We can forgive. We can love. We can restore relationships because we have been restored to God. And we have a beautiful picture Of what faith means today. In just a moment. I'm going to go back here with Lincoln. And we're going to have a baptism. And this baptism is a beautiful picture. Of what faith looks like. This baptism is a marker of faith. That just as Lincoln goes. Through the waters of baptism. So will he one day rise from death to life. He has placed his faith in what Christ has done and what Christ will do. And like the rest of us who trust in Jesus Christ, he waits for the day of that fulfillment. Won't you trust in Jesus Christ today? Brothers and sisters your own, or friend, your only hope of escaping the judgment that is to come, escaping the wrath of God on humanity, is through faith in Jesus Christ. It is not a hope in your own works or your own righteousness or your own ability to build up merit of good works in heaven that will save you. It is by Christ alone and faith in him alone that you can be saved. My hope is today that you will follow the example of Lincoln and that you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. If you want to talk with me after the service, I'll, I'll be dressed at some point and I'll be glad to talk with you about how you can follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But let's pray, and then Bill will come and lead us in a hymn of response as we prepare for baptism today. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. We thank You for the hope of the Gospel, that it is by faith in Jesus Christ alone that we're saved. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not trusted in You as their Lord and Savior, that they will recognize that there is no amount of merit that they could build up to be made right with you. There's no work that they can do, no amount of of right or privilege that they can go through that would earn their way into heaven. That it is only through Jesus Christ and His work and receiving that work through faith that they can be saved. Father, I pray that You would bless us as we continue to worship and that You would bless Lincoln in his obedience to You in baptism. That through this public profession of faith, that he would remember that throughout his life as a marker of his uh, start in the walk of faith. And that he would continue in faith through his life to to the glory that he has in Jesus Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. I pray that for everyone here, that we would all trust and rest in what Christ has done. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.